Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who played offensive guard for 15 seasons for the New York Jets, beginning with the 1967 American Football League season. He played for the Jets in their AFL championship game victory over the Oakland Raiders in 1968 and started in the third AFL-NFL championship game, known as the first Super Bowl, actually, uh, in which the Jets defeated the NFL's Baltimore Colts. He was the last of the starting Jets players in that game to retire from playing pro football, playing his final game in the 1981 playoffs against the Buffalo Bills. After retiring in 1982, he was the Jets' radio game analyst for five years. He also did some NFL games for CBS Radio Network. It is a pleasure to welcome 1969 Super Bowl champion number 66, Randy Rasmussen, to Sports Talk New York. How you doing, Randy? I'm doing fine, Mark. How are you doing? Doing good. So, you know, it's 51 years to the day of that Super Bowl win. Oh, come on. Please don't remind me. It it is a long time. But but before we talk about that game, let's talk about how you became a Jet. So the legend goes that you got hooked on football when you were, you know, it was three days after Christmas. Your parents' farm got their first TV. You and your brother settled in to watch Johnny Unitas and Alan Amici beat the Giants in overtime for the championship. What was it about that game and that moment made you want to be a professional football player? Well, uh, I, that was we, we were um, believe it or not, we were uh, me and my two brothers are both Baltimore Colts fans. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, I don't I don't know why, but uh, we used to go now before we got our TV, we used to go down to the little town of Elba, and the postmaster uh, we went to his house because he had a TV. And that's every Sunday afternoon, go to church, then we go down and watch the football game down there. By golly, we got to watch it in our own house on that, uh, on that overtime game. And, well, yeah, it was, a, it was an exciting, incredibly exciting game. We were, uh, we, were, we, were, we were very into it. So you mentioned uh, about Elba and how small it is. Your high school was so small. Because of that, the football team didn't have that many players. And because of that, you actually played guard, quarterback, and fullback in high school. You went on to the University of Nebraska at Kearney. What went into the decision to play at Kearney? Well, that was that was pretty easy. Um, uh, um, that was kind of uh, first of all, I, being a small school playing eight man football, we didn't have films or anything like that. And all the colleges that gave out scholarships, uh, you know, the big scholarships, you know, you had to have uh, films and everything like that. So there was no place to go but uh, Kearney, and um, at that time, Kearney had a, a, well, you know what, not at that time, this year they did, they actually won the Mineral, Mineral Springs Bowl out in, uh, out in Missouri, and they're, you know, they, they, we were, they were a football powerhouse in the NAIA, and the coach out there uh, came to see me, and he wanted me, he wanted me real badly, so um, uh, we went there, my parents could afford it, and uh, so and, and it was fortunate. It was fortunate because, uh, you know, he was a very, a very good football coach, and so I had I had good coaching in college. Yeah, you played there all four years. The team, while you were there, only lost five games over those four years. Your freshman year, they make it to the championship semis. You were the team captain in your junior and senior year. 
One year you actually got to play with your two brothers. What was your college experience like, and what did Coach Alzheimer mean to you and your development at that point in your career? Well, Al Zickman was a, was a, is a legend, is a legend, and um, uh, I, I, can't, I can't express enough how good of a, a coach and a father figure and, and everything else that the guy was. So, you know, he, he was very important. And, um, you know, the, the, the kids that came to Kearney were the, you know, a lot of them were the, the farm kids like me, and... So we had a bunch of farm kids out there that, you know, really liked to play football, and we we did well. We um, we did well. So what do you remember about draft day, and how did you find out that the Jets had picked you? <laughs> Believe it or not, um, uh, this is 1967. So please understand how this <laughs> change happened. Uh, I I was in class, and. Um, I came back and I used to work for um, a, a, a farm, a, a farmer. Uh, there, you know, the, there in the in the summer times, I'd be a laborer in the farm. He heard me on his tractor radio. He heard on the tractor radio on the local station there that I had been drafted. He immediately came in and and called and. Um, uh, he, he kept calling until I finally got back to my apartment, and I still hadn't heard anything. And he said, "Hey, Randy, you just got drafted by the New York Jets." And I said, "Oh my God, are you?" And I, and so that really—that's—that's that's the first I heard of it. And then, well, then everything started happening. Then everybody was calling then. But um, <laughs> it was my old, um, old boss, old boss. So to say you were confident that you were going to make the team would be a stretch. In fact, you actually signed a contract to be a teacher in the Omaha School District after you had been drafted in, by the Jets. Is that right? A- and why? Well, that's it. You know, um, well, there's, there's a, well, first of all, yeah, I didn't know. I'm a 12th round draft choice. I don't, I don't know if I'm, you know, your, your odds are not, are not um, <laughs> terribly positive. Um, and, you know, the, Omaha and the Omaha public school system was a real. Uh, that's one of the one of the main teaching jobs. I'm a math major with you know a <laughs> straight A's, and they come out and they and they said, hey, we want you to teach math in Omaha, and and they pay you. you they would pay you quite a bit more than the the uh, schools around. So I said, well, yeah, I think I want to do that. Uh, just just in, I didn't tell them <laughs> that just in case. I didn't make it with the Jets, but um, so, so, yeah, I had, that was my backup plan. That was my backup plan. We're talking with 1969 Super Bowl champ Randy Rasmussen here on 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Um, incumbent Sam DeLuca would injure his knee in an exhibition game, and you take over the starting position and play there that season. The following season was a tough one at first. You actually thought of leaving camp, but George Sauer Sr., then the head of the Jets player personnel, Talk you out of it. What do you recall about that conversation, and what did he say to you that convinced you to persevere and go through what you were going through? Well, you know, what happened was uh, we talked Bob Talamini, uh, who retired from Houston, and he was an all-pro guard down there. Well, we talked him out of retirement to come and, 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 and play for us. So, uh, you, know, now I'm, you know, I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is not... 
this is not good. And, uh, you know, we kind of we split the duties a little bit and split. And then, of course, you know what happened at the end of the year, uh, Sam Walton, Sam Walton uh, kind of fell, fell apart, and we had to make the switch with her moving out, and I moved to right guard because Tally, Tally played. He was a left guard, and so you couldn't, you couldn't change him. Me, I, was, I, was, I knew both positions, right and left, and um, so I moved to right guard. But George was, George was a, he, um, he's a guy that came out to Carney. Sign, get me signed, get my contract signed, and everything else. And um, he was just—I just really liked George. And and when he heard that I was a little concerned, he just said, "Randy, hang in there. Your time is coming. Your time is coming," is what he said. And just just hang in there. Don't don't get discouraged. And and I didn't. And uh, it, my time came a lot came pretty quickly then. And it came in a huge game because that move that you just mentioned with Sam Walton was in the AFL title game against the Raiders. When Coach... No, 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 no. Uh, We made the switch on the last game of the season. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I don't mean to... I'm just telling you that that, that, I played the the, the championship game at right guard and the Super Bowl. So by the time I got the Super Bowl, I had some experience at right guard. Right, but, a more but that what I'm saying is at such a crucial time, last game of the season, and then the AFL title game, what did you make uh, of that decision, and, and how did he talk, like, what did Weeb say to you at that point to get you ready for this? Well, uh, it was kind of, um, you know, uh, Rez, we got to, you know, Herm, we got to get somebody out there because we have got, uh, we had, uh, uh, what, what, what was that, uh, Carl, uh, the big defensive end from uh, Oakland, and then we got Bubba Smith coming up, and we got to get somebody out there that can handle him. And they thought of moving me to tackle, but they then they said, but, you know, I think uh, given, given who the tackle's going to go up against, they wanted somebody with more experience. So they put Herm out there, and they moved me over, and I was just – I was just excited. I was excited to play. I didn't care if it was right guard, or left guard. All I wanted to do was play, and I'd have played right tackle if they wanted me to. But um, it was a, um, it was just kind of a, um, I, I, I don't know. It just happened. I'm telling you, it just happened. Hey, we're making this change. Boom, you're going to right guard. Tally's going to, you know, continue left guard, and and Herm's moving out. So you're 23 years old at that point. What's going through your head when you know the throngs of the press are around Joe Willie and, and Joe guarantees a victory in the Super Bowl? What are you thinking at that point? Well, what I'm thinking is is what we had told us. We we started watching films. We we beat the Raiders on Sunday, and on Monday we already had game films on the Colts. And I don't know how we pulled that off, but we had them. And so we started watching them, and we're watching them. And the more we're watching them, the more, you know, we we matched up really well with them. They, uh, the, you know, the, the the Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs all played that wicked bump and run, just beat the crap out of the receiver, and and so you can't throw the quick pass, and then our rush is going to get to the quarterback. And well, that, you know, that that put all all the all the pressure on us for protect the quarterback. But what we we were watching and says, you know what? 
I think we can beat these guys. And everybody else is, we keep watching, we keep watching it. And, um, and Pete Lamons, he said, Weeb, you got to stop showing us these films. We're going to get overconfident. And, and that's when we, you know, he said, hey, guys, I don't want anybody saying anything. You do nothing but say the Colts are the greatest team ever. Just like you, you keep saying that. Don't anybody say anything about how we're, you know, what we're going to do. And so Joe on that Thursday walked into that, walked into that room and some, somebody back there said, hey, Joe, we're going to kick your butt and, you know, you're nothing you can do about it. And he said, we're going to win, I guarantee it. And I'm, I'm sure as the words were going out of Joe's mouth, he was trying to reach out there and grab them and put them back in, but he couldn't. They were out there, and I, when I heard it, I said, oh, dear, oh, dear. This weeb's going to be really upset about this, but um, in the end, in the end, it really worked in our favor because it took all the pressure off of us and put it on Joe's shoulders. You know, Joe is now the target, and we're, you know, so you know we're a little less important, so we're there's a, there's a little less pressure. I, that's that's the way I felt anyway. And and by the way, he just said what we were all thinking. So you know what the heck, um, but. That's how. That's the way I recall how all that guarantee played out. You know, it's interesting because uh, you know you guys were 18 point underdogs. Joe makes that guarantee, and for many people that didn't get to see Joe Namath um, play and, and what he brought to the Jets, and just look at his full career statistics, they make an argument that maybe he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. That his numbers might not have been Hall of Fame worthy, but. For that moment in time and what he did, uh, you know that alone makes him a Hall of Famer. But what did he bring to the team? You're in every offensive huddle with him. What were his leadership qualities like, and, and what was he like as a teammate? Well, first of all, let's talk about leadership. Now, now maybe I was I was young and maybe I was impressionable, but every time I was in the huddle with Joe, when he called a play, I knew that play was going to work. I knew that play was – you knew it, and it's kind of like the whole team kind of had that feeling. If it didn't work, you just shook it off. You came back and he called the next one. Okay, that one's going to work. And, you know, he was – he had kind of a – he had a leadership quality that, you know, that is hard to – well, every, every leader has their own, their own style. And Joe certainly, Joe certainly had his, but he was, a, he was an excellent, excellent – Team leader and getting you know getting people to play together and you know, there was no animosities there was no you know none of this um, tit for tat you know or any, anything going on Every, everybody we're just we're one team and and uh, and Joe was Joe was our leader he was our leader. Looking back at, at that game, knowing that the team you were playing was the team you grew up as a fan of. Um, he, although you know he was injured, but he was also the same, the quarterback of that team, Johnny Unitas, so the teams that you grew up loving. Your coach was now, you know, he was the former coach of that team. Did a lot of that stuff bring back memories to you when you saw them take the field for the Super Bowl? Oh, oh wow, oh wow! I, I tell you something. Um, I did. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to react. Of course, Johnny Unitas was just. If you're a, if, as a Colt fan, he was your absolute hero and and uh and though he wasn't anymore well i mean he was but he was still 
we knew, we knew how good he was, and you know he was he he might play and he might not play and he didn't play. But anyway, uh, but more so than that, I'm playing across from Billy Ray Smith. Good golly, I used to watch Billy Ray Smith, you know, tearing up the Giants, uh, you know, tearing tearing up Green Bay and everything like that, and and all of a sudden I said, hey, I got to block this guy, but I, I got I got to be honest with you. First snap of that ball game, that all went away, and it was strictly, it, it was strictly. What does Joe want to do? What does Joe want to do? What does Joe want to do? And it, it, you know, my job is this, and my job is this, and and get her done. And um, and we did, we did a pretty good job that day. Fifty-one years later, what's a lasting memory of that day for you? You know, it was when that final gun went off. And I jumped straight in the air, and I didn't know what I used. I don't even don't even know what don't even know why I did it, but I did. I did. I did have one thing. I remembered. I said, you know, when this game is over, win or lose, I gotta go shake Johnny Unitas's hand. Oh wow! And I I tried to get over there. I tried to get over there, and and, and well, you know, they kind of were off the the field kind of fast, and I didn't get a chance to. But you know, that was that. Well, then. then then, good golly, the locker room, and it was just—it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. We were the—we were the best in the world, and uh, I, I never thought I'd ever be at that. Thinking back to that, watching that first game on that TV set in our house in Coastville, Nebraska, and you know, from there in—in in, um, oh shoot, you know, like eight or nine years, we—we we were the. We were there, and we were the team. We were the one that won. So um, it was quite a, quite a trip. It's amazing your longevity with the Jets, and you know we all know what happened to Willie's knees and the injuries. As you know, Willie started breaking down. As a guy who had to to block to make sure he didn't get hit, how much did that you know change the way you played and, and the pressure it put on you? Game in and game out, and play in and play out. Actually, yeah. Um, oh boy, this is a hard question to answer. It, did, it didn't change. It, it, it didn't change. Um, uh, the, but the people around uh, Joe's um, skill position, people around, especially at wide receivers, started changing kind of dramatically, and the. And you know the ones that were, that came in were faster, but they, you know, I, they, they, he couldn't. He just he couldn't. You had to be able to communicate. You know, half the well, half the plays in the Super Bowl, more than half the plays, we call them at the line of scrimmage because Joe would read the defense and what he wanted, and and we would and he'd call the play and we'd run it. But his receivers, Maynard and Sauer and Lamons and Mathis and Boozer and everybody, you know. They, they knew, they they were thinking, the, the right on track with, Joe, with what Joe was thinking, and when people tried to blitz us, when people tried to blitz us, we would we would kill them because some the whoever the blitz is coming from, somebody's got to turn into that open spot, and guys would automatically do it, and Joe would would know they were going to be there, and we you know we could we could take people apart if they tried to blitz us, so. Um, but that kind of he kind of he kind of lost that kind of uh, continuity with his his, his outside guys and um, 
Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. It just um, and then when it started going downhill, it started. It was. It was. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. So Mark had mentioned your longevity in the game. How much had offensive line play changed over your career all the way into the 80s? Was there more of a, a running influence, or did they get away from the run? Did you see a change? Compare that also to today, where we see there's more offense now than ever, and it seems like it's harder for teams to actually have and develop good offensive linemen. Yeah. Uh, the, the Well, you, you know, obviously they, they, you know, they, they had to start changing the rules a little bit because of the of, of the quality of the player not quality the the uh, well size and speed everybody said what's the difference between when i played and and now it's bigger faster stronger i mean that's just that's just that's just what it is and so you had to you know if if these if these guys had the block the way we had the block they, you couldn't you couldn't block these defensive linemen. They're they're too big. They're too strong. They're too fast. Um, and so so you got to give them a little little more leeway on you know where the hands are and things like that. Uh, so I, um, you know it, it, it the game just kind of morphs morphs along and it and it and it keeps making changes. But I I like to watch the offensive line. I do like to watch these guys. They're there's a lot of things very similar to what we did. Um, uh, you know, try to stay in the middle, try to stay balanced. You know, to, you know, don't get thrown one way or the other. But man, oh man, some of these defensive linemen, they, these outside rushers, these outside rushers now, golly sakes, you just you can't get there fast enough. You can't get there fast enough, even giving ground. And they're they're tough to block. They're really tough to block. Who was your toughest opponent? Who was the toughest guy you had to line up across from over the three decades? Hey, 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 you know what? You know who the toughest defensive lineman I ever had to block? I never played one game against him. But I had to go against him in practice. And when he was a rookie, I had to go against him in the inter-squad game. Joe Klecko. Gosh, almighty, I'm telling you, I, I when you know, I'm saying – I'm sure glad I don't have to block this guy every game because, the, you know, he, he kind of he had the size, strength, quickness. He had everything. He had it all. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I mean, I had, I had some great games with Julie Adams up in, uh, up in New England and uh, Joe Ehrman down in, in Baltimore. You know, we, we play ourselves twice, you know, home and home. And, and you know, uh, we, we, you know they, they were good. They were all good. There's a lot of good defensive linemen around. Uh, I, uh, Alan Page, um, uh, you know, I, not I, I, too shabby, huh? <laughs> not too shabby, but uh, Bob Lilly, Bob Lilly oh. was. Now he caught me when I was in my second year, and he was in his body's twelfth year. And I'm telling you, I just I played the whole game against him. I don't think I, I don't think I blocked him clean one time. I mean, he just those big long arms and everything, um, you know. And well, that, that the toughest group were the Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers, the Iron Curtain, you couldn't do, you couldn't do anything on those guys. I, I mean, they were, they were coordinated, they were good, and they knew it. Some really great names right there. During yeah. your 15 seasons with the Jets from 1967 to 1981, you played in 207 games, second in, in team history 
to only kicker Pat Leahy. Uh, you experienced the high of earning that Super Bowl title as well as the low of going 11 consecutive seasons. Uh, I think nine of them I had season tickets, actually, yep. without a winning record. Uh, you also had the unique distinction of being one of the few offensive jet linemen to score a touchdown, and you did that against the Miami Dolphins. Where does yeah. that moment stand in, in all the things you've accomplished in the three decades in the game? You know, when I when I meet somebody and they they find out who I am, they, they go on Google and everything, and the first thing they see is scored a touchdown against the Dolphins on such and such a date, and they say, "Wow, you scored a touchdown!" I did, but you could, <laughs> that, that touchdown was the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. We were on the like we were on like the six inch line, and we ran rammed right into the line. I can't remember who it was went up over the top of me and fumbled the ball. Okay, now I'm on the bottom, and I, and I look up, and all of a sudden I hear, I see this ball coming, kind of like it's coming down a tube, 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 like that. And so I just reached out and put my arms around me, and I could see the yard marker. And so I made sure that I was laying there, and I had the ball over the yard marker. And so they unpile, and they go, touchdown. And they said, uh, I, think it was, I think it was Cliff McLean was the guy. Cliff McLean, touchdown, there, Jet Shield, this thing, other thing. It wasn't until the kickoff that the PA system said, we made a mistake on that last touchdown. Randy Rasmussen scored, covered, recovered a fumble in the end zone for that touchdown. So it was, I didn't get credit for it until the next play, but uh, I got credit for it. Did you get that game ball by any chance? I don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't recall I did. Oh, I don't recall not, I did. Not the no. same coordinated dancing that goes on in today's <laughs> yeah. game, right? Oh, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for your time. It, it, you know, every time when I, I see the calendar and, you know, long, now long-suffering Jet fan, and I think back to me being nine years old and the Jets winning the Super Bowl, thinking it was going to happen every single year, uh, much like yeah. the Knicks, and, you know, still in, they won it one more time, and I'm still waiting. But um, great year, 1969 in New York. Mets, Jets, and Knicks win a championship. Well, my thought after the Super Bowl was, man, this is so easy. We'll do this every year. <laughs> well, uh, it didn't happen every year. It doesn't happen every year. So I'm glad I got there for that one. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it, Randy. Okay, my friend. Take you, care. You got it. Number 66, Randy Rasmussen. Three decades a New York Jet.